Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 13 from the World English Bible. Now in the assembly that was at Antioch, there were some prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they served the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate Barnabas and Saul for me, for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. When they were at Salamis, they proclaimed God's word in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their attendant. When they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of understanding. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fastened his eyes on him and said, You son of the devil, full of all deceit and all cunning, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is on you, and you will be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. He went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. But they, passing on from Perga, came to Antioch of Pisidia. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak. Paul stood up and, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they stayed as aliens in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he led them out of it. For a period of about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land for an inheritance for about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Afterward, they asked for a king, and God gave to them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom he also testified, I have found David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From this man's offspring, God has brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. 
before his coming when John had first preached the baptism of repentance to Israel. As John was fulfilling his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one comes after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of the stock of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, the word of this salvation is sent out to you. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't know him, nor the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Though they found no cause for death, they still asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all things that were written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. We bring you good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this to us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. Concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not allow your holy one to see decay. For David, after he had in his own generation served the counsel of God, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw decay. But he whom God raised up saw no decay. Be it known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man is proclaimed to you remission of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come on you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, you scoffers, and wonder and perish, for a work a work in your days, a work which you will in no way believe, if one declares it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and of the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted the things which were spoken by Paul and blasphemed. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that God's word should be spoken to you first since indeed you thrust it from yourselves and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so has the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. As the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed, the Lord's word was spread abroad throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and threw them out of their borders. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and came to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That is the end of chapter 13. At the end of Acts chapter 11, we were told of Barnabas and Saul, 
he was still called Saul then, taking aid to those in Judea because of the famine that was prophesied. And then at the end of chapter 12, we heard about them coming back from Jerusalem. Just a side note on that in case we missed it. It, In the translation here in the World English Bible, it says to Jerusalem, but it's in the sense of they came, they returned from going to Jerusalem. Other translations translate it as they returned from Jerusalem. So here in chapter 13, they are back in Antioch, and it's useful to note right here that this is a different Antioch from the one that will be mentioned down in verse 14. That one later is Antioch of Pisidia, and it is almost directly west of this first Antioch where they started, and it is in the middle of what is now Turkey. You can look at this in the American Bible Society Atlas on page 50, map 61. When these specific men are listed as teachers and prophets, it's told in a way that it seems that they are the ones who are particularly gathering to fast and pray here. And I'm reminded again that this is written to Theophilus. All of these figures are listed as some people who would be very easy to identify. And then also note that when it mentions the fellow Menaean, who was the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. This is another way of referring to Herod Antipas, who is the one who beheaded John. You can go back to our discussion of the Herods from Acts chapter 12. I wanted to say just a couple of honest things about fasting, since it's mentioned here. When I was younger, a young mom and wife, I was pregnant and nursing babies for many years, and that's not a time to fast, in my opinion. But also, since the children are all grown and out of the house, I've been thinking more about trying to understand how to humbly and appropriately make it a part of prayer as the Bible talks about it. I noticed that the Bible doesn't go into describing it a lot, except to mention the people who did it, and also Jesus's teaching saying, when you do do it, act like this is normal, not like you're suffering. So it seems to be a normal part of some intense devoted prayer by choice, but it's not something that's supposed to be manipulative. It's not like you can fast and make things happen. Although, again, I remember when Jesus was talking about the demon that the disciples couldn't get out, and he said those kind only came out through fasting. So there does seem to be an element of spiritual battle to it. So that's just my summary for now, what I've been thinking about, and a preamble to how I intend to think about it more in the future. In verse 2 of Acts 13 here, we have another instance of the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit seems to be speaking through people. Those are the examples that we see in Scripture. So there must have been some way for them to verify this, which goes along with the idea in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where he talks about testing the spirits. So this is a case where they apparently tested the spirits, and the Holy Spirit clearly communicated to them what needed to be done. This was not some feeling or thought that was purely subjective to one person. We get a picture here that there was no doubt. And right in this description, we see that Barnabas was also called to do this work. Everyone talks about Paul's missionary journeys, maybe partly because he wrote so much and maybe because Luke was traveling with him. But Barnabas was very specifically and equally set aside to go with Saul here. And what an interesting pair. One man is noted as kind and giving from the very first description in Acts 4.34. 
that was Barnabas, and the other man, Saul, was a murderer resisting God until he is stunned on the road to Damascus, but they were both chosen to serve together as brothers in Christ. The next couple of verses are a travelogue. What you might not get at first reading is that Seleucia is south, that is down from the first Antioch. Cyrus is an island, and Salamis is a city on that island, and Paphos is another city on that island. Then in verse 5, it mentions their attendant, John, and it's safe to say that this is not John the Apostle because it's been indicated that the Apostles stayed in Jerusalem in general, and they didn't do other things like attending because they had a special job as the Apostles. But this is the same John that is mentioned in Acts 12, 12 and 12.25, whose surname was Mark, and there seems to be some evidence that he is the one who hung out with Peter a lot and did write the book we call Mark. We'll find out that in verse 13, he leaves them to go back to Jerusalem, which recall is where his mother's house was, so that was home for him. At Paphos, they meet the sorcerer who claims to be the son of Jesus. That's what Bar-Jesus means, and recall that's even in the name Barnabas, the son of encouragement. But we find out that his name is also Elimus. And then there's the proconsul, who is an intelligent man seeking truth, and he summons Paul and Barnabas. Notice that this sorcerer withstood them and their message. He took a stand against the true faith that they were telling the proconsul about. And inserted in the middle of this conflict, we are informed that Saul is also known as Paul. As Luke goes on with the account, he makes it very clear that Paul is not just speaking from irritation. We are told he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he openly exposed the sorcerer's evil heart and evil intent. Curiously, Paul declares blindness, the same thing that happened to him, Saul, now Paul. So it seems possible that he also thought it might lead to a change of heart for this sorcerer like it did for him. We are told nothing further about the sorcerer, except that he went groping for help. It almost gives a sense that people are stepping back from him. He can't find anybody. And then also that because of all of this, the proconsul believed. So maybe we Christians will get around to visiting with him on the new earth. Then in verse 13, it makes a shift in the narrative because it becomes Paul and company. Though Barnabas will be mentioned again, the narrative follows Paul. And here is where John Mark leaves for reasons that are unspecified, but which, according to Acts 15.39, cause a rift between Paul and Barnabas. Although 2 Timothy 4.11 indicates that Paul was reconciled with John Mark. Then we have another travelogue ending up in Antioch, Pisidia, where the rest of the chapter takes place. First, they go to the synagogue. Then they are invited to speak, and then Paul begins a history review. In verse 18, he talks about their 40 years in the wilderness, referring to the history of the nation of the Jews that he is speaking to. Then in verse 19, he mentions about 450 years. According to the chronology of the Old Testament by Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones that I've mentioned many times, and on pages 71 through 76, this passage right here, this approximate 450 years, is often wrongly conflated with the 480 years referenced in 1 Kings 6 1, 
where it states that King Solomon's fourth year of reign coincides with the 480th year since the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones concludes his presentation of the Times of the Judges, which actually extends from Moses leading them out of Egypt, the Exodus, in 1491 BC, to the death of Samuel in 1060 BC, which is 431 years, so easily rounded to Paul's about 450 years. Now, this is actually not the only possible explanation for this 450 years, but one really important point is that the 480 years in 1 Kings 6.1 is stated clearly and definitively, where the about 450 years in Acts 13.20 is not precise and is only stated in a general descriptive way. You can also see how, when Paul's talking, that the 40 leads up to the 450 and is not exclusive of it. So as long as you understand that the judges are not all in the book of Judges, and it takes some careful comparison to notice overlaps of some things, such as actually Samuel was a judge during the reign of King Saul, at least up until the last couple of years, everything lines up. So in the chronology of the Old Testament, page 75, it gives a couple of other options of time frames that fit this about 450 years and the context of what is being said, and one of those being that it lines up with the time of the judges as a parenthetical reference, so from when God chose our fathers up until the time of the judges, Abraham's covenant in 1897 B.C. through 1444 BC, when the land was divided, equals 453 years. So there are three solid options, and it does not need to cause conflict with the very clear 480 years of 1 Kings 6.1. The very learned men that Paul was talking to understood what he was saying and had no disagreement with Paul's review of history leading up to declaring who Jesus Christ is and that he rose from the dead, Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of the promise that all their history culminates in. He also uses Psalms to prove this, in particular Psalm 2 and Psalm 16, but he ends with an ominous warning and comparison. He says both, don't be like the Jews in Jerusalem, the majority of the Jews, who scoffed and will perish, and don't be among the people of Israel of whom it is prophesied in which you will no way believe. But this also emphasizes an interesting point, that though the majority of Israel and as a nation would deny Christ, each individual still had a choice. It is also helpful to notice that from the beginning of these encounters in Antioch of Pisidia, the text has been referring to different groups of people that should be highlighted. First, in verse 15, Paul and Barnabas are called brothers in the genetic kinship sense. The people that they're talking to have not become part of the church yet, though some will, so they're not using brother as brothers in Christ yet. And then secondly, in verse 16, Paul speaks to men of Israel and you who fear God. He's talking about two different distinct classifications. And verse 43 also shows that there were Gentile proselytes in the gathering. And this time, saying some from each group followed the teaching Paul had just given, so they believed. 
they were born again into the body of Christ. Then, unfortunately, in verse 45, a significant number of Jews got jealous. Instead of rejoicing in salvation being for all people, they clung to their unfounded, distorted pride in being a special group to whom only they should receive favor from God. Paul firmly rebukes them, setting them straight if they will but listen. And we know from Romans 10 that he wants them to hear. He still hopes that this same jealousy will drive them back towards seeking God properly. Then we get to verse 48, which is an often misunderstood verse, partly because people come to the verse with some presuppositions and partly because the word appointed here is used in one of the less common ways. First, let's talk about two things that it doesn't mean, which can be demonstrated in the context. It doesn't mean before the foundation of the world. It doesn't mean that anybody was appointed before the foundation of the world. It simply doesn't say that. It also doesn't say that they were appointed against their will or predetermined regardless of their own choice. I did a little bit of study of the Greek word here. And it is used in a less official sense of appointed. It has a meaning of disposed toward or prepared in their own seeking to receive. Much like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he was already seeking God. So he, in a sense, was appointed to accept because he was so ready. These Gentiles also were already seeking God. Therefore, God leads them to the full truth and to salvation. And I'll link to an article that talks about this Greek word a little bit more. And then this particular section of the account ends with the sad part of Paul and Barnabas shaking the dust off of their feet against the obstinate Jews who are directly opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ at this point. But on the flip side, the disciples there are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.